Hello everyone, I'm Leo Fleischman. And I'm Peter Lyons. Welcome to TA40, episode 3, if I remember. It is magic number 3. Yeah, so today we're going to talk and discuss with my friend Peter about data visualization. One of my favorite topics, mm -hmm. I have to say because I work in uh, business intelligence analytics uh, and data visualization is something that I... It's funny because when I started in the company six years ago, I knew nothing about it, about data visualization. Well, I think it's a very new field, right? Yeah, yeah. Now it's completely... It's a, It blows my mind. I... Uh, for me, when I, you know, graphs were only related to math, and I knew, you know, when you, when you study math, so all the Cartesian graphs were like uh, uh, familiar to me, but all the rest and everything and what you can actually do with them, for me was very alien. I, I didn't know uh, what actually can do. So. Um, how would you describe data visualization uh, to somebody who, you know, might have heard of the term but maybe needs a bit of a refresher on what it means today sure. as opposed to six years ago? I think that the visualization means that uh, it's a graphical way to understand data uh, in, a, in a glance. So, I think that's that's a like a, that's a very good high level, um, super high level, yeah. very high level. The Harvard Business Review has an article on uh, visualizations that really work, and they say to start considering to start thinking visually, you have to think, you know, is the information you're trying to convey conceptual? Or data-driven. In other words, am I declaring something or exploring something? Right. So, in your experience, you know, which, what type of data, what type of, you know, for the clients that you work with, what sort of things are you doing with the data? Exploring or declaring? Well, we're doing both. We're, for example, companies come to us because the amount of data that they are producing it's in the in the beginning six years ago was duplicating like every uh, every six months something like that and now it's quadruplicating wow <laughs> listen to that amount of data so Wait, how it's quadrupled in in how long six months wow okay that's insane that is yeah so um they were trying to understand their data and to make uh, business uh, decisions based on that analysis. So in the beginning, you know, people were using Google Sheets or uh, Excel Sheets. And with the amount of data that you had in the past was enough because you have a table and you can see uh, the, a list of people that are uh, selling in your company and you see the products that they're selling and the amounts of money that each one of them are 
bringing to the company was really easy to understand, even visually, mm -hmm. because you had all the data in the screen. But what happened if you have, instead of 10 salesmen, you have 200? And what happened if you have even, I don't know, 500? Or if you have an amount of data that's not visually um, um, comfortable for your eyes to see in one single place. So data visualization comes in that place where you can see in one graph, you can see all this data and all these analysis in one single place. So our customers, for example, we have all kinds, and I, I'm not sure if I can say the, the names of some of them. Well, actually, I didn't say my company, so maybe I can. So anyway, these companies are huge. And uh, we have all kinds, but most of them are tier, tier four. I, Sorry, tier one, which is like really big companies, like, I don't know, Coca-Cola or... What would you say, who are they visualizing this data for? Is it for their own sort of internal, uh, you know, for their leadership to sort of get a sense of how things are actually operating? Um, you know, who's bringing in the most uh, revenue, who has the potential to bring in additional revenue, or is it for uh, investors to understand something or is it for you know maybe they have some kind of public relations uh initiatives that you know they want to communicate to the general public something about what they're doing that is best represented in some kind of visualized data you know and and based on that what are the different sort of needs when you're presenting something that's a visualization of data to you know, expert domain experts, or you know investors, or the general public. That's a great question. These companies are using all kinds. They are using it internally for uh, understand their, their revenue and to proper do the moves that they need to do to actually uh, um, make more revenue, mm -hmm. or even to save money. For example, to know how, what it's not working actually, and to cut and to actually save this. You know, these times are very companies are uh, are doing a lot of cuts, and uh, in the past probably they wanted to know what it's working better, and now they are they want to know what it's not working. Mm. For example, there are many companies in the past that are that were using our platform to understand. Um, uh, we bring, for example, uh, comments from uh, Amazon and reviews to products, and we use uh, artificial intelligence to understand the sentiment. And so we did sentiment analysis on these reviews, so we could understand if it's a positive review or a negative review mm -hmm. and this this company actually understood from text from reviews mm -hmm. in Amazon not you know without stars it's like if I give you a three star review it's positive it's negative well you don't really understand yeah it's sort of could neither. be also a two star then the comment could be positive yeah so we did that then 
we bring them like this dashboard, you know, positive, it's green, negative, it's red. You can see in a glance, like really easy, like the amount in percentage. It's a classification analysis. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they were really happy about it. We have an, examples from um, software companies that they are using it to analyze the amount of bugs that they have in the product and to understand what needs uh, uh, to be, you know, if they need, if there's a bug that it's really, really critical and need to be fixed right away. So when you have many software engineers working together, many teams, it's really difficult to understand um, which of the bugs it's uh, more critical than the other because there are different teams. So uh, when we analyze that amount of data and we understand the whole product, we can tell software companies which is the, the order of uh, priority. So these companies are using it to actually solve software engineering problems. There are other companies that are using it for I don't want to say the name, but it's a very famous uh, application for people to meet. Mm. Uh, so this application is using uh, is using it to actually make the algor their algorithm better into matching the people uh, because they have a lot of information from their users and they analyze this information and they actually find matches. See, that's interesting to me is, is when we think about, you know, the pace of development in machine learning and we think about, um, you know, right now, much of what's what we call machine learning is, is supervised, right? There's some kind of human involvement in like labeling or classifying certain uh, training data, right? But as we move to unsupervised learning, how is it possible for a human to wrap their head around how a particular sort of uh, outcome or, or prediction or, or uh, calculation was made, right? It seems like it's something that visualization maybe provides some insight into. You can, uh, you can map the uh, you know, the, the thought process, for lack of a better word, of a, um, okay, so. We're talking about uh, unsupervised. By that, we mean that the algorithm learns uh, alone uh, what you, you give a, a final result and the, and the algorithm is like going to find his way, its way to the solution. Yeah, it's like uh, when DeepMind, Google DeepMind, uh, was playing uh, the international Go champion, Lee Sedol. Yeah, oh my God. Its path to sort of defeating this, this world champion was one that was not mediated by, you know, experts, you know, and training data. And it simply was a matter of them taking this uh, entire kind of like all the possible ways that this game could be played and 
essentially playing against itself over yeah. and over and over and coming up with ways and moves that in the 2,000-year history of the game, nobody had ever considered. Yeah, it's always totally the novel. hardest game in the, in the planet, right? Right, so it's the one with the most possible outcomes. And yeah. you have to think very strategically in terms of like so how you play. In the beginning, the algorithm was teached how to play with learning on other games. And then the next generation of the, of the algorithm actually teach it itself. And that way was like insanely good. So how, how for, you know, for the creators even of, of uh, DeepMind, for them to even understand how the thing they created even sort of jumped to those different, you know, insights would be incredibly useful, right? Because, you know, let's fast forward and imagine unsupervised learning application that is determining things like, you know, people's access to credit or, you know, anything, you know, relating to uh, the judicial system, you know, do, do, do uh, people uh, get parole at a certain time? All of these things that, you know, right now, you know, police departments and... and, and uh, Don't you think that we are very naive talking, you know, with uh, machine learning that we trust in stuff like, for example, in my company, when we do something, I try all the time to bring like machine learning on even stupid things like organizing layout. Like in the beginning, we have a design and we see the design and then we did that design. And now it's different. We are actually analyzing the user uh, layout and how he loves to organize the windows and and how he uses he or she uses the application mm -hmm. so the new layout it's fixing it's learning by itself how to organize itself that's very naive and nothing wrong is going to happen with that but now when we use machine learning algorithms with things that matter like you know jails or uh, we say, you know, there's an algorithm that decides if teachers need to be laid off or not. Um, I think that's... And, and, you know, the algorithm, it's a person wrote it mm -hmm. and probably is biased about some things, and, but it's a closed box. It's like a black box. And you don't even know the data that it's you really ingesting or, or how it's sort of... What weight it's giving to different variables like how do recommender uh algorithms work you know like when you when you're on amazon and you're buying something and it says oh people who bought this usually also bought this exactly and is that just based on you know like a linear kind of like uh, regression of like oh you know these these you know these inputs tend to be correlated yeah imagine that you get that's a great example imagine that you get in amazon like Oh, people that you bought this, bought this book. And then the book, it's like how to be a serial killer. Whatever. It's like, what, what it's going to make you feel about it? Or the YouTube's, uh, you know, YouTube also recommends videos that tend, they always seem to be a little bit more like extreme 
from, you know, the, the thing that you watch to like suddenly, you know, it's recommending conspiracy theory yeah, yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah. And, and now YouTube is also, there's a one button there that it's like, do you want to see something that you are not watching usually? That's uh, could be interesting and it could be like, I don't know, a little bit um, too much, I think. That it's, it's going to bring what and why. It's going to check that if you want, it's going to be random. There is such a thing as random in those kind of applications. Well, what's the objective, right? The objective is to get to you watching you, more you and watching. more. So how do they optimize for that? What kind of content do they know is going to get people more sort of hooked? Yeah, in the, uh, in the end, they're trying to actually, it's, I don't see it like in evil algorithm. They're trying to bring the videos that you like to your eyes. That's what they're trying to do, specifically for YouTube. And also for Amazon, it's like they're trying to bring to your eyes the stuff that you want to buy. But how do they measure the degree to which somebody likes Clicks, clicks. How much? Uh, how long you're watching? How them? long you're looking at something yeah. specifically? In YouTube, there are like many, many things. Maybe you're like raising the volume up on in some stuff. YouTube is very, very uh, good at analyzing their videos inside out. But you know, they could. You know, there's videos of like, you know, terrible things that. You know the, that you like the expression is like uh, you know watching a train wreck. Yeah. You know, but you're hooked. But you can't look away. Yeah. But does that mean they should be all the feeding time that stuff face? to you? If you're clicking all the time those videos, yes. And that's my my concern regarding kids, for example. Yeah. Um, but it's like you know, for little kids, it, there's YouTube Kids, which is fine. It's totally fine. And it's like uh, the parent got co 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 absolute control over it. But, you know, these teenager kids that they are actually starting to watch YouTube for grown-ups, that's really the problem because and, there's nothing there. And also people above a certain age that are not really savvy with, don't really understand how these systems are sort of driving them towards, Oh yeah, you know, m more extreme... I can Content. see my daughter like watching, you know, being in the iPad. She's like behaving like a drug addict sometimes. When we say like, okay, iPad time is over. Now it's time to play or to read or to do something else. The her first reaction, it's like, no, you know, like hugging the iPad mm -hmm. like it's a her best friend or something. That's and what we do, we actually are giving her the iPad even less when we see those reactions. And that it's provoking that when she is doing it, when she have time to watch the iPad, she's like, she's, you know, she's very, um, she's, she wants to prevent from us to take that iPad from her because she knows that her time with, with it, it's very short. And she needs to, it's like a very, we think that it's a very addict. Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's turning on in the brain the same spots 
that like a drug addict will oh absolutely it's dopamine right it's yeah. it's it's also for us yeah but i think at a certain point in your development you become a bit more aware of like you sort of know yourself a little more and i know when you know for example in the morning when i'm half asleep and i feel like i just need something to kind of wake me up the first impulse is to reach for my phone and see like just get a little dopamine boost to yeah. sort of like you know start the day and i resist that urge because i know the moment i open and i look at that yeah maybe i get a mini dopamine boost but then it's pulling me into you know the yeah, unending scroll scroll right which is uh, it's so evil it's so evil think about it it's like an endless scroll of things that interest peter and uh, you know honestly i don't feel like a lot of the stuff i don't feel it actually knows what interests me you know it's funny because i i see many of these i think a lot of the data that's that you know these uh you know, different platforms have relied on is maybe outdated, you know, like, for example, with YouTube, if I go and I buy a product, after I've bought the product, I'll start getting ads on YouTube. Uh, yeah, at the, you should that buy the moment. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, well, where were you when I was thinking about yeah, I bought it the already. purchase? I bought it already. You're a little late to the game. You know, so it's like there's a lot of space for them to yeah. kind of. Well, those those uh, so you know those platforms specifically, I think they work on many things, but also they are based on your. Many times I'm looking at something, and then the advertisement goes to my wife. Hmm. She's like, "Oh, I saw you know in my feed like this and this," and I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." I was looking at it, hmm. so. It's also related with your circle of friends and family because they think, okay, so maybe if your wife is looking at this, um, we're going to show it to you and maybe you're going to buy it. So if we, you know, if we sort of try to unpack, you know, how are these algorithms, you know, coming to these sort of conclusions, what kind of data are they pulling, what are they, you know, what weights are they assigning to different data points? You know, a real good application of, you know, visualization, at least for consumers, would be some kind of like graph of, you know, oh, this is, this is actually, you know, how, these are the things that we're looking at in your profile. These are the data points that we're that are going into this calculation of, you know, what we show you as a recommended video. Yeah. Right. But then is that sufficient? Maybe for now it's sufficient, but maybe as the algorithm becomes more complex, it's really, even with visual storytelling, it becomes really hard for somebody to actually understand, you know, quote unquote, what the machine was thinking. So at yeah. what point, you know, does humanity have to actually take a next step to maybe integrate with the machines beyond just what we see 
And this is the, the you know, Neuralink and, and Elon Musk. He says, you know, for humans to survive, they have to merge. Do you, do you see, how do you see the going from visualizing data to actually maybe directly uh, processing data, you know, somehow that... Yeah, that's very interesting because data visualization born with the fact that we can't hold in our brains enough data to be analyzed. So we need to see these graphs to, for us humans to understand. It's a shortcut. But once we're going to be hooked with something that with a computer, maybe, because now right now we have a computer in our pockets all the time. So probably next step is going to be to be hooked into this computer. I don't see, you know, I'm a, I'm a tech guy. So for me, it's not that horrible. For my wife, it's horrible. But in the end of the day, it's going to be what it's going to be. It's like we, you can't uh, stop uh, this advancement of technology and it, it's impossible unless we, you know, we destroy the planet. But that's a, another question. So once we're going to have the ability to analyze data with our brains or slash computer, maybe these data visualizations are not going to be necessary at all. Maybe instead of just data uh, visualization, maybe there's ways we can use our other senses. You know, if you have some sort of like t different type of input beyond just, you know, an image on a screen, but maybe there's some kind of direct interface, maybe you can, you know, smell, you know, the quality of, you know, training data. You can, or you can, maybe there's a sense of like, oh, this data is expired. You know, <laughs> maybe you can taste you know, the, uh, you know, which of the ingredients, you know, yeah, is, 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 the, is the, the most heavily weighted. That's very interesting what you're saying, because I was thinking in a very linear way. It's like, okay, you're you're, you have a computer in your brain attached, so actually the queries that we are analyzing, and then those queries are, uh, are the base for these data visualizations to be made. And once you don't need the data visualizations, you are actually, you're, you know, you're getting the results with these queries right away in your brain. But you are saying that we can actually, it's provoking reactions in your body. Uh, that's very interesting and, and, and could be... Because the visual cortex is, you know, processing, you know, this information that's coming. It's all got to go through the visual cortex. But, you know, there's also like the auditory, the tactile, there's, there's, you know, different feelings of uh, like proprioception, like your, your position in space, you know, your body awareness, all of these other sort of parts of the brain could potentially, this data could be maybe processed in parallel instead of all just going through the visual cortex. So we're going to pass from data visualization to data... Uh reactions i don't know to that experience yeah i i think that we're going way too you know far in the future but i i can see i can see it happen definitely what in a world that that neuralink it's you know normal to everybody and one in five people in the planet have it i i definitely 
I mean, can see it happen. Is, does Neuralink just become sort of like a supplemental kind of like phone memory storage? Is that all it is? No. Or because, you know, in, in order for it to actually like interface with the different regions of the brain that could do the sort of parallel processing. So, yeah, I mean, if we think about like, you know, human and machine interface or direct like brain machine interface, what does that actually mean? You know, are we just sort of creating like an external like memory storage that, you know, now we can have better, more clear memories, we can replay experiences, or does it actually like allow for more sort of distributed processing of information across the brain? Well, I think that's the, the end result they want to actually to, uh, to help the brain with some extra faster analysis, like, an, like a CPU in your brain. That's, it's, it's, it's a CPU, but it's also like, um, it's a distributed computing kind of like orchestrator, right? Because if it's just, if it's a matter of like, you know, more rapid access to, you know, information, I mean, we already have that. We've already sort of outsourced virtually yeah. all of our, you know, memory, our short-term memory to our devices. Imagine how much but it, it doesn't help changed, us think better. Exactly, how much it changed our relationship with people. If someone in the past was telling me, well, this thing is like, uh, in 1975, uh, this guy said uh, this and that. I was like, okay. I didn't have, you know, a way to check this information right away. And right now it's like somebody's like talking, you're like, uh, let me see. No, that's totally wrong. Actually, the guy said blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's like in one second. So imagine that if we are, if we have, everybody have a CPU in the brain and we are actually all interconnected, I can actually send you information. I can send you a thought. I can send you, you know, wirelessly a thought. Maybe you, maybe you can hack a human. Maybe you can actually, it's, you know, it's like a gate to his brain. And then if oh, we are interconnected, we're going to be one brain also. I would say Facebook and Google have already tried to hack the brain, the human person. brain without, you know, putting something directly well, in exactly. the gray matter. So now it's going to be like more direct. I think that as anything in, with humans can be used for good, incredibly mm. good things. And I think can be bad actors can, can use this technology for really bad things. Like anything, like, you know, like uh, quantum computers, they can be used for extremely good things, but, you know, I, I know that China, for example, is uh, extremely, uh, let's say, unethical uh, in their activities with uh, uh, computers and uh, anything related to quantum computers. There's no, you know, a good book or laws or anything, actually. Yeah, I think uh, that all of these things, we're going to have our Frankenstein moments. All of these, you know, some of the, you know, when it comes to, you know, how humans are interacting with uh, computers, you know, 
everything from like, you know, people looking at screens to people, you know, wearing some kind of ridiculous like, you know, VR headset to, you know, maybe some kind of direct interface that is stim or simulating all of the sort of experience, right? Without the headphones and the, the you know, the goggles. And then, you know, ultimately, I think a lot of these things are going to, it's just trial and error, and uh, people are going to do very shocking things with, with some of this technology that we can't anticipate. But I think that that's part of progress. Yeah. You know, I mean, think about when the automobile was invented. You know, how many, you know, terrible accidents and, you know, unnecessary deaths did it take for the automobile uh, manufacturers to install, you know, basic safety. Yeah, seat belts. Yeah. Seat belts or, you know, fuel tanks that didn't just explode, you know, on contact. And Yeah. Yeah, but still today it's incredible that we're... But an I think endless it, amount of people died from... Yeah, and I think it's going to be something similar in any kind of, like, new frontier. People are going to run, you know, to try to just do something, get it done, you know, something new. And the thoughts of like, oh, is this actually like going to hurt people? Is it, I think that's going to come later. And that's the thing that when someone is creating so something, it's, I'm sure that when the, you know, every uh, tech leader today that they started their, their startup, you know, in a garage, they were thinking in the, in, a, in good things and to, to create something that is going to help humanity. But then these companies grew incredibly and they actually think in profit more than anything else. Well, I think maybe they're just not able to anticipate, you know, how the tech would be used. You know, at the startup phase, it's sort of like you know, you don't know all the side effects, right? Now, as those side effects become clear, you know, how do you respond? Well, if the side effects are becoming clear, but you have a, you know, board of directors and, you know, investors and you're a publicly listed company, how do you manage those side effects but also you know trying to keep your stock price up right so i, I think it, it all depends on like at what stage and you know what's the role of investors and who are the investors that you take i think investors play a very important role in sort of like guiding that process because if they're long-term investors they don't they want those side effects addressed before they become, you know, long-term, a huge snowball of an avalanche of problems, right? But I think, you know, we have, there's all kinds of investors today. Some investors are just sort of in it more as traders. I think venture investors in particular have an obligation, you know, as they're on this journey with the founders to sort of help the founders kind of anticipate some of these issues and, you know, hopefully like mitigate the longer term risks. And uh, to 
go back a little bit to data visualization. It's like, do you think that there's going to be in the next, you know, five, ten years, <clears throat> there's going to be a change in how we consume these uh, visualizations? So these platforms analyzing data and uh, visualizing it. Yeah, I think um, that increasingly some of the most practical applications of more immersive, like, uh, experiences, whether it's augmented or virtual reality, will be maybe to explore some of these visualizations and maybe even, you know, interact with them somehow more than just the two-dimensional or, or, you know, a screen representing a three-dimensional graph. What if you can sort of walk around a data visualization and you can, you know, you can manipulate some of the inputs to see how things change? I see that also thanks to COVID. I think that people, every you know person in Earth started to, when COVID uh, began, started to look at these graphs showing, you know, these graphs of deaths or, uh, you know, uh, people, you know, New York Times were showing these uh, uh, graphs showing yeah. this progression and people were yeah, yeah infections people really familiar with uh, data visualization it was in the past was only you know people looking at the financial uh, uh, part of the newspaper and now you can see data visualization showing a pie with whatever whatever it is the data and people like totally can un understand and relate and um, that means that many companies are showing uh, data visualization in their applications now. Um, they are offering that product to to their users. Yeah. And uh, that sounds really, really awesome for me, that something that was related to other, um, you know, to other businesses and to other type of consumers, now it's a everyday Joe can uh, actually look at the graph and maybe and probably understand. But also, I think everyday Joe can also be presented with data that might be sort of incomplete or, you know, for example, with COVID, a lot of the data that was shown repeatedly was the number of positive cases. Yeah. Okay? But if you look at the, the, the number of actual like hospitalizations or, or deaths, you know, those weren't as, as, you know, the graphs didn't do this in the same way that the new infections did. That's a great point. But it created this sort of like hysteria and, yeah. and you know, fear because, in the population. Yes, because the newspaper in the end of the day, they want to sell and they want to create interest. So these graphs were always in red, <laughs> always. It doesn't matter that, you know, the contagion was going down, always in red. And uh, when I noticed that when the contagion was going down, they were putting some, there's a new variant, you know, there's yeah. something else that, uh, uh, that's that's awful, and also the understanding of the graph. You're totally right, because in the end of the day, these companies are biased to something. So that data and those graphs were showing exactly what 
the these newspapers wanted you to 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 see and to understand and to feel and 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 that's a very interesting point because in the end of the day if the graph is not being made by an algorithm it's being made by someone and that someone got you know it's biased and it's doing the graph to show something maybe what we need is a visualization of bias